The Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from heaven, from the Father, full of grace and truth. I guess the first time I heard that uh, reading, I was probably about seven years of age. And I was at Archdeacon Cambridge School, a Church of England school in Twickenham. And we weren't a church-going family. I'd never been inside a church before, but I moved up from the infants up to the juniors. And, and the juniors went to church to do a carol service. I didn't know what all this meant. And I remember going into that church, and I remember being impressed by the size of it. And the priest, quite a high sort of Catholic priest, was, was very... Uh, welcoming and explained the church to us and we had a kind of a rehearsal and I remember not so much the content but I remember the feeling a sense of awe having never heard of God before having never heard this story before but I remember that phrase in the beginning and although what came after that I didn't understand and I only understand it now after some study and what have you. But there was something about it that stirred within me. Something about it that resonated. It, it, it enlarged me. It made me bigger. And to be honest with you, although it was many years before I pursued Jesus for myself, I believe on that day a seed was sown. In the beginning, it was a start and maybe it's a beginning for you today. I, I pray so. But to begin at the beginning, we've got an uphill task ahead of us. I don't know if you heard the Bishop of Croydon being interviewed on the radio a few weeks ago. It's the new Bishop of Croydon, and he went into a Church of England school, not unlike Archdeacon Cambridge School that I went to. And he was the morning speaker, and all the kids were sat down there wriggling with excitement. The Bishop came in, he stood up to speak, and he said, okay. Who can tell you who's the main person in the nativity that we're going to be doing soon? And lots of kids put their hands up, ooh, 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 as they do. And he said, okay, you. And the little girl said, Cinderella. (laughs) 
And he said, all right, yeah, good, good. We must make sure Cinderella's in there somewhere. Okay, you. And he said, Santa. And uh, right, great. And then another hand went up. Uh, Yeah, what about you? The elves. Well, we were in trouble. We were in trouble. Last night, Fliss and I were watching a movie called Love Actually, and the the lobsters appear in that one, so it's not as bad as that. (laughs) We've got an uphill task ahead of us, you know. But actually, as, as you begin to seek, you know, the scripture says this, and I believe this is a fundamental life truth. As you begin a quest, a personal quest to know God, to, to understand, to unpack, you know, the, the, the tenets of the Christian faith, you will find. The trouble is many, many of us never even begin the journey. And I want to encourage you today in your journey. I want to encourage you to, you know, to set about that quest. Because Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. Now on this passage here, do you know, it wasn't until I went to theological college that I learned a crucial piece of information that helped me understand. It was like what we call an interpretive key. But I I don't know why I hadn't heard it before, but somebody said about the passage that we've just read, which for many of us is, is probably familiar, but maybe not well understood. But this passage about the word becoming flesh, John, the writer, was writing to the Greeks. And for them, the word is, is logos. It's, it's a word that is actually dripping with meaning, logos. They saw logos in their philosophy and, and, and worldview at that time as being, if you like, the prime initiator, the big bang. That's cropped up a few times, that expression. So they saw the Logos. They, were, they, they didn't really see it as divine, but they understood that the word was the creative force behind all that was seen. And what John did in a really culturally apposite and appropriate way was he took that common understanding of the Logos. Everybody would know what that meant. There would be no you know, weird answers to that question if somebody had stood up and said, what is the Logos? Everybody would have said, the creator of the universe. Although not divine. But John came in and in the light of the Christmas story, he said, the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And jaws dropped open. They had never heard this before. The logos, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. That intrigued, that fascinated, that that really hooked people. They wanted to know more. And so the gospel was birthed and heartened and invigorated in the Greek-speaking world at that time. This wonderful passage that we read so glibly almost even now. But I suppose, you know, one of the things about this passage, I've been reading it a few times this week, appreciating it in my personal devotion, enjoying it, but it suddenly it occurred to me that there's a very important little bit in the middle of this where it, was, it says in verse 10, and with this, I, I want to really ask the question, what do you see? What do you see in it? What do you see in life? What do you see in Christmas? What, what can you see? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? What can you see? Because verse 10 in this passage, buried in the middle, there's a, there's a kind of a, an intriguing thing here. It says he, that's the Logos, the word, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
All too often we see things that we don't recognize. We, we don't understand who and what they are or what this thing is. Sometimes it can be kind of, kind of amusing. You, you maybe think you recognize someone and, 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 and you don't. Fliss and I had this completely surreal encounter about 10 years ago. And uh, we were actually uh, on a bit of a sabbatical and we were in uh, Malibu Beach. Great place to do a sabbatical. We blagged that one well. Malibu Beach, and one Sunday morning we discover there's a vineyard church there. So, hey, wow, we'll go along to the vineyard church there. We go along there, and it's actually, funnily enough, it's, it wasn't all that much different to this in many ways, the sort of layout here. But there's, uh, we, we are a little bit late, just as some of you were this morning. We came in, and the music, the worship band are already kicking off. And I, I, I looked very hard at the worship leader because I thought I recognized him. And... Uh, he was doing a great job, name called Steve Council. Some of you know him because he comes to this church occasionally now when he's in the UK. A guy called Steve Council. Anyway, he's leading worship and he's an ex-punk rocker and he plays a Gibson Les Paul for those you know, who are guitar aficionados. And he plays it around his knees. I don't know how anybody can play a guitar like that. It looked really quite strange. Anyway, I'm looking at this guy and I thought to myself, I know this guy. And then he opens his mouth and I realize that he's English. And I think, I really do know this guy. And I'm racking my brains. It's distracting from the worship. I, who is this guy? I know it. And I suddenly thought, isn't he the guy I met when I was on a mission trip to Boise, Idaho, who led worship there? And I thought, yeah, I think that's who it is. So after the end of the service, I went up to him. And funny enough, about halfway through the worship set, he kind of looked at me looking at him. And he kind of smiled and he went like that. And I thought, yeah, it must be. So after the service, I make a beeline to him, he makes a beeline to me, and I say, Boise! He said, hi, how you doing? And we clap hands, we hug each other, say, how you doing? Anyway, after about ten minutes, we realized we hadn't got a clue who each other was. <laughs> and the weird thing was, he'd never been near Boise, Idaho, but the weird thing was, when he was a punk rocker, his nickname was Boise. And so it got even more confusing, and I'm, and I'm going... <laughs> and he's going, <laughs> it was so weird, so strange. Funnily enough, we stayed friends. Maybe that was what that was all about. And his parents live in Dunstable. And he still lives and works in California. But he comes over here a couple of times a year and hangs out with us. And he's become a good friend, dear man. Maybe one day we'll get him to do a little worship meeting with his Gibson round by his knees. You'll see what I mean then. But this whole business of recognition is, is, is an interesting thing. Sometimes things are right in front of us, and yet we don't see them. There's a, a, what I find quite an amusing but clever story that came out of the Second World War. Some of you will, will know of Colditz Castle. Anybody ever heard of Colditz Castle? Yeah, a few of you have, right. Colditz Castle was a, was a prisoner of war camp. It was exactly what it sounded. It was a great castle. On a, on a cliff. And usually officers, but not only, Br Allied and British officers who kept escaping were sent to Colditz Castle. It was considered escape proof. And of course that was just a challenge for all the officers and men who were incarcerated in this place. They spent their whole time trying to escape. And time and time and time again they were captured and thwarted. Well one day... One guy comes to the escape committee. They even had an escape committee. 
He came to the escape committee and he said, I've got this great idea. We're going to make German officer uniforms. And they went, yeah, it's been done a hundred times before. He said, no, no, not like this. He said, the trouble is when we make German officer uniforms, we then, you know, knot sheets together or dig a tunnel or something. And if, if someone's coming down a, a load of knotted sheets down the outside wall dressed in a German officer uniform, chances are they're trying to escape. We've got this all wrong. What we're going to do is break into the German officers' quarters. And they went, excuse me, we're trying to get out of this place, not... But he said, no, the thing is, if we can break into the German officer's quarters, we can then walk out the officer's door in a German officer uniform. And they thought, that's not a bad idea. And actually, it was easier to break into the German officer's quarters than it was to leg it down the outside of the wall or dig a tunnel. And that's exactly what they did. Three of them broke into the German officers' quarters. They then adjusted their carefully tailored um, uh, uniforms and walked straight out of the main doors with all the soldiers saluting them or whatever they did. You see, the, the guards were not expecting prisoners of war to come out of the German officers' quarters in their gear. They didn't see escaping prisoners of war. They, they just saw officers. And I suppose what I want to do today is challenge you to not just go through the motions of, of whatever a traditional Christmas is for you. But I want to challenge and provoke you and encourage you to seek, to press on in, start a new quest to know the real Jesus. It's so important, even for those of us who, who say we know Christ and, and his kingdom and have been walking with him for a long way. In fact, even in the Christmas story, you know, there's a, there's a challenge there to expect the unexpected. Right at the beginning in Luke's account, Luke's gospel, there is an occasion there where a priest, someone who is highly respected, misses it. Let's read that story just to sort of get... A little bit of understanding here. You'll find this story. We'll pick up the story at uh, chapter 1 verse 11. And let me just give you the background here. Zechariah is a priest. He's married to Anna I think. And they've longed to have children. But they're childless. Uh, and you know that's a sadness and a great sorrow. And they've prayed earnestly asking God for a child. Anna hasn't conceived and now it would appear that she's way past childbearing age and that seems to be the end of it. But Zechariah is a godly man, Anna's a godly woman, they seek God, they love God, they would say they knew God just like many of you, not all of you but many of you here do. And yet we have this, this story which I find challenging. I find a little unsettling, and I want to be unsettled by it. Let me read the story, and it'll speak for itself. Verse 11, chapter 1, Luke's Gospel. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah, by the way, it had, they drew lots, and it turned out it was his turn to go into the holiest place and, and sacrificed 
incense. This was a big deal. So there he is. He's going about his priestly duties. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Elizabeth, not Anna. There you have it. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. I love that expression, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. If ever there was a prayer for our society at the moment, is that the hearts of the fathers, and I'm a father, should be turned towards their children. So this, this young man, this John, is going to be this prophet who is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Excuse me? What? I mean, you're seeing an angel. I mean, Zechariah, what's God got to do to grab your attention? Now, maybe I've read it with a little bit more edge than he actually did, but I'm doing it for deliberate effect. Because the text is clear, it goes on to say, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at, at the proper time. Sorry, Dan, do you mind just uh, grabbing this? Thank you. You see, the trouble with familiarity, and I guess all of us here are familiar with the Christmas story, and as I say, we've all got our own little traditions and routines with the Christmas holiday. The trouble is that we can miss the wonder, the immediacy, the power that lies at the very heart of this thing. Zechariah, it says in the Bible, was a godly and righteous man. He wasn't a baddie. He was a goodie. And yet even he, when confronted by the angel Gabriel, could say, ah, I'm not sure about that one actually. I'm challenged by this. Have I missed moments when God has wanted to speak to me? Next week I'm going to show a little video on Sunday, just a ten minute little story. It's a lovely story. And the woman in this story, the sent character sees in the gift of a cup of hot chocolate an act of kindness, an act of God. I mean, if, if godly men and women can, can doubt and miss angels, you know, what chance have we when, when God is giving us a cup of hot chocolate? Have you missed a moment? Have you missed a time when God spoke to you? 
What's it going to take for you to listen to God? What's it going to take for you to press on in to start or restart your quest with God? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, flipping heck, if I saw an angel, I'd believe. Would you? Would you really? I wonder if Zechariah, a godly and righteous man, can miss it, I wouldn't put money on it. You might just say, flipping heck, that's the last time I go at the malt whiskies that hard. You know, expect the unexpected. This is a season where we celebrate something that has become very familiar to many of us, even though our children so often confuse the story with lobsters and whatever. Santa, Cinderella, elves. But the trouble is that at the very heart of this story is something quite extraordinary, something unexpected. I remember in 96, 97, Fliss and I were really pretty burnt out. We'd kind of finished the first phase of the, of the building of the church. And I, I mean, some of our team are, are still were there then and are with us now, dear John and Linda. And we need to take a little time out. I was really burnt. I was really shot, to be honest, emotionally, spiritually, and everything. And so in 96, 97, we went on another sabbatical. Uh, the director's board very kindly gave us a couple of months off, and uh, we went again to California. And uh, there were a couple of conferences we wanted to do, a couple of places we wanted to do, and there was a night that we, we had spare. And suddenly I thought to myself, wait a minute, there's a vineyard missionary school at Lancaster. Uh, I wonder if I was to ring them. We didn't have email in those days. If I was to ring them, maybe we could stop over there one night. That would be kind of fun and save us some money too. So I kind of rang up and in, it, that was the days where you, you had these transatlantic lines and you'd say something and it would be delayed and so you'd think they hadn't said something. So then you say something but by that time they have spoken and so you're talking. It was just crazy. Did your head in. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, I mean, oh, thank goodness we have what we have these days. It was just crazy. So I'm trying to say, yeah, vineyard pastor from St. Albans. Yeah, St. Albans. All A, oh, forget it, you know. Vineyard pastor, we're coming through. Any chance of a bed for the night? Yeah, okay, what, 21st. Thank you. Great. Lovely. Thank you. So I said to Fliss, well, it was a crazy line, what have you, but, you know, we, yeah, we can stop off there. That'll be fun. It's up in the mountains and it's on sort of en route to San Luis Obispo, da 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 Anyway, we get there, beautiful place, mountains overlooking the desert, and it was in, in sort of May, and they'd had a lot of early spring, and, and as you know, the desert, when it's watered, absolutely comes alive, and it was like, it almost hurt your eyes. There were great seas of orange and seas of purple. It was just so technicolor, colorful, you'd think we'd done drugs. It was amazing. And we got out the car, and we're a bit tired, a bit jet-lagged, and we think, man, look at this place. And the ranch where we were staying, it was a lot of little sort of chalet places, so we discovered. We weren't bunking it or anything. We were prepared to bunk it. But we went into reception, and I was kind of a little nervous. I didn't know. I hoped that they got the date, and it was going to be okay. You know. So I went into reception, ting, ting, long wait, no one there. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great, you know. Anyway, finally somebody turns up and they say, hi, hi, 
And I, I said, uh, Chris and Fus Lane from England, St. Albans Vineyard. Uh, yeah, 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 sure, great. Okay, um, listen, how many bags? Uh, let me, I'll carry a bag for you. I thought, well, that's sweet of them. So they sort of grabbed these two bags. Mine was very light, Fus was very heavy. <laughs> sort of dragging this. I think he, part of his body, left-hand side, that died on the way over there. And he drags us over this very picturesque little cabin and uh, unlocks the door and opens it up and drags in, plonks the cases down, turns around and says, well, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, if you want, I don't know if you've eaten, but if you want, there's something at 6.30. If not, it's great, lovely, you know, just make yourself to home. So that was nice. We went into this little cabin and, oh, my goodness. Talk about unexpected. Talk about God loving us. God being tender and kind to us. This was a, it looked like it had come out of a sort of, you know, ideal home type place. There were great plumped cushions. There was beautiful decor, lovely furniture. There was a little kitchenette. There was bowls of fruit. There was coffee and tea. You know, the refrigerator was full of food. There were fresh cut flowers here. The bed was all sort of beautiful. There were candles and potpourri uh, all over the place. And uh, my favorite. And don't buy any me for Christmas. Got it? Okay. And... Um, <laughs> And then on the bed, there was a little card, Chris and Fliss, and a couple of chocolates. And we opened it up, and it said, welcome home. Well, Fliss and I, it's true, isn't it, darling? We sat on the sofa, and we just wept. Man, was that unexpected. We would have, done, we'd have slept in bunks in the bunkhouse, just passing through. We felt that... God knew us, knew the struggles that we'd been through and were going through and was surprising us with joy. Welcome home. That's why I often say, I said to somebody this morning, welcome home. It's a very powerful thing. I hope that that'll become a little catchphrase for you. I know it is. Say to friends, say to visitors, say to people you meet, welcome home. Welcome home. So powerful, unexpected, but wonderful. Expect the unexpected. As you snatch a bit of time to, to spend looking at the scriptures, listening to the Christmas story again. As you, uh, as you come to the service here, the carol service, I mean, the, it'll be crazy. All the kids are going to be going mad. You know, we, we, we try not to stress too much about that at the carol service. But expect the unexpected because our God, the word made flesh, wants to speak to you wants to take you on, wants to draw you closer to himself. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. It's a spiritual principle. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably write a book called Seek and You Will Find. I'd nick it from the Christians. Because if you're looking for good things, you'll see good things. If you're looking for negatives, if you're looking to find fault, you will find them. Whatever you seek, you will find. And Jesus says, if you'll seek me, you will find me. If you're going through the motions, don't be surprised if you're not surprised. If you're looking for nothing, you won't be disappointed. You'll find nothing. But if you're looking for God, he's a God who will be found by all who seek him. And that's his promise, not mine. Seek and you will find. So, you know... 
as I say, you know, this, this holiday, look, seek, search, you know, do yourself a favor. favor. Uh, you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt, and I suppose that's true. But to be honest with you, as I, as I said right at the beginning, very often it's ignorance. Now, I was ignorant as a child of, because I wasn't raised as, as a Christian about who Jesus was. I probably would have said the lobster was the central figure in the nativity. I don't know. But, but, the reason, but, but you know, when I say it's ignorance, you know, I, I don't mean to insult you. I mean, I'm ignorant of many things. I'm ignorant and proud of it. I, I, I mean, at home, for example, I'm ignorant of the washing machine. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is with washing machines. But I, I, the Fliss tries to train me, but I can't do it. I, I, it just bamboozles me. I, I just get in a pa- have panic attacks. You know, Fliss gives me some washing and says, would you mind putting that in the washing machine? And I go, well, oh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I've, 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 I've broken gearboxes down. I've welded up MGBs. I've built boats. I've, you know, half-built houses as well. But a uh, washing machine, it's a mystery to me. Any of you guys have the same thing? Yeah, it's a man thing, I think. I don't know what it is, but we, we, we don't do the washing machine thing, do we? You do? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm, comp- I'm just ignorant of it. I- I'm sorry, it's just the way I am. This doesn't look very convinced. She's scowling at me. There's going to be another talking to in the car going home. Yeah, truthfully, I don't want you to feel embarrassed or shamed if you're ignorant about Christ and his claim and what's at the heart of this Christmas story because the truth is that many of us are. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Find out. Get into it. Dig into it. Try and understand it. There's a challenge there, a little, little, little project for the Christmas holiday. You can find out what this thing is about instead of just going through the motions. It's an opportunity there. Seek and you will find. And there's a wonderful, if you like, antidote to dear Zechariah. And I don't want to knock him too much because, to be honest with you, he was a good man. He, he fathered John the Baptist, a, an epic character of biblical proportions. Excuse the sort of pun there. John the Baptist was Jesus Christ, our Savior cousin. And he went as a herald. He went before Jesus, preparing the way, calling the people to repentance. Any man who can father John the Baptist earns my respect. But there was that moment when he missed it, when confronted by an angel. But there's a lovely antidote to that. We've already read it once, but I'm going to read it again. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What a different reaction. These guys weren't educated. These guys were just regular guys. They weren't theologians or academics. They weren't part of the priestly caste. They hadn't devoted their lives to learning about the things of the king and his kingdom. They were just shepherds. But when they met an angel, they said, let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's see what this thing that God has spoken to us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him... They spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were told. The Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, God himself has been born today in Bethlehem. This will be how you know who he is. A wonderful, unexpected thing is going to take place. You'll go down in the village and you'll find a baby, not in the nursery, not in the freshly painted nursery, not, not in a cradle behind mom and dad's bed, not in bed with mom and dad, but in a manger, a stable, a place where the the oxen and the cattle eat. When you find that baby, as opposed to the other babies, that baby that's in this unexpected place at this unexpected time doing an unexpected thing, that baby is the Christ, the Savior. Do you see at the very heart of this familiar story is something outrageously unexpected, That's why I want to say to you, and I believe the power of the Holy Spirit, expect the unexpected this Christmas. You may be in for a surprise, not bought from John Lewis's or online from eBay, but another surprise. So I want to finish with this. The the shepherds, the shepherds, went to Bethlehem, they found the manger, they looked into that manger. And I want to say to you, just to drive the point home, who or what do you see in the manger? Who do you see in the manger? Maybe Mary saw her baby. Newborn baby. What joy. Joseph, her husband, saw a son. Herod, the king, saw a usurper, someone who was going to dethrone him. That's why he ordered all the children to be murdered, all the boys under two to be murdered. He saw someone who was a threat to him. What do you see in the manger? Is Jesus a threat to you and your way of life and the choices that you've made? The wise men saw a prince. Someone who had been prophesied about. Someone who in their readings and their writings in the far east had been referenced to. And they came miles and miles and miles to worship this prince. Just a baby. The prophets saw a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Simeon, the priest on duty in the temple, saw the hope of Israel. 
John, his cousin, saw the Lamb of God. Peter, the apostle, saw the Christ. The disciples saw a teacher. Judas saw a loser. Who do you see in the manger? The people saw a father, one full of compassion and kindness towards them, such as they'd never known. The cripple saw a healer. The sad saw a comforter. The hungry a provider. The blind saw. The deaf heard. The dumb spoke. The Pharisee saw a problem. Pilate saw an innocent. The soldier saw another crucifixion. The centurion saw the Son of God. The women saw the risen Christ. The world will see him a mighty victor. Who do you see in the manger? Another Christmas card? Another chance of a a gift or two? A Christmas dinner? And the shepherd saw a baby, a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I would love you to see Christ the Savior. And if this Christmas you will set your heart and your mind to seek him, Christ the Savior, whatever else you've thought about Jesus, and it may have been right, it, it may have been wrong, who knows? This Christmas season, I urge you to come again to this story, this over-familiar story, and Press on in, seek Christ the Savior for yourself and indeed for the world. I want to bless you and, and wish you all the happiest of Christmas. I, I, I pray that you'll have friends and family and make new friends and be reunited with family. I pray that you'll get every gift that you wanted and every gift that you give will be well received. I pray all of that. I, I pray for prosperity and